this is Tony Speaks and this is my lovely wife, Kim. We are the founders and co-creators of the lifestyle brand and podcast, Becoming Disciplined. Every week we meet, learn from, and share best practices with highly disciplined men and women from a variety of fields and endeavors. Follow us on our journey. Linnell Hayes is a licensed psychotherapist currently licensed in Georgia and Virginia with over 10 years of experience working with diverse populations, including children and youth in individual practice, group home, and school settings. She also has worked with adults experiencing depression, anxiety, grief, and loss, and low self-esteem in a private and group practice setting. She has worked as a military and family life counselor, providing counseling services to active duty service members and their families. Linnell received her counseling degree from Virginia Commonwealth University and has received training in cognitive behavior therapy and child-centered play therapy at the Beck Center and John Hopkins University. Linnell's counseling approach is eclectic and guided by her relationship with Christ. She desires that everyone she works with know the value and work they innately have because they were created in the image of God. She enjoys reading, nature, taking care of her mind, body, and spirit, and spending time with family and friends. Linnell lives in Georgia with her husband, Lieutenant Colonel Joseph Hayes Jr., and her daughter, Nia. But this week, Linnell Hayes is becoming disciplined. Three. Today on Becoming Disciplined, we interview licensed psychotherapist, Miss Linnell Hayes. Linnell, welcome to Becoming Disciplined. We are so honored to have you. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Awesome, awesome. Now, Linnell, before you educate us and share your current story, I think it's good for my audience to be aware of your context. Your Every superhero has an origin story. So the beginning of your story, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Chesapeake, Virginia, and uh, initially for the first 15 years of my life, we, I grew up in a trailer park, actually, and um, grew up with my, uh, both my parents and uh, two siblings, two brothers. I was a middle child, so. Awesome, awesome. Now, would you, would you style your childhood as conventional or unconventional? How would you style it? Um, I would think pretty conventional, depending on, you know, what definition you're going by. Some both my parents um, are Christians, um, pretty traditional um, as far as like their roles. So my father was the main breadwinner and my mother, although she had a profession, chose to stay home uh, after she had my my older brother and then my, myself and my brother. Um, so she chose to, um, you know, put her career on hold. And my dad worked uh, two to three jobs so that my mom actually could stay at home with us. So um, pretty traditional in that route. So That's powerful. All right, that is powerful. Now, when did you discover that counseling or therapy was your vocation or gift? Okay, so that was pretty, it was a process. It was a journey because um, I had several interests. I knew I wanted to teach in some format. I also wanted to be able to advocate for people in some format. And I also wanted to have some level of control of um, my job as far as my schedule, my work time. So initially, I wanted to own my own business. And then I said, well, you know what? Let me become a teacher. So I did a practicum in my undergrad um, 
education. I did a practicum. But in real life, teaching wasn't for me. I didn't like to be closed in and I didn't want to teach like 20 something kids. I, I was overwhelmed by that. Um, and then I also started to study for the LSAT, which is for um, law school. Mm. So I prayed about it, you know, just sought guidance, talked to different people in each profession, and then decided that, um, so while I'm a licensed psychotherapist, I'm actually a licensed clinical social worker. So I decided to go into clinical social work because I then could become a licensed psychotherapist. In doing that, I could, in some manner, teach or instruct clients um, when I was working with them. I could actually have my own business, my own practice, and I could act as an advocate for my clients. So I, it kind of helped me um, incorporate all of the desires that I had going into world therapy. And that was probably, um, so undergrad, and then after undergrad, I took two years off, worked in a variety of jobs. And then back in 2006 is when I decided to pursue um, counseling as a profession. Okay. Now, are good counselors made or are they born? A little bit of both. <laughs> so, and if you're lacking an area, there in most in most areas you can actually, um, if you're lacking in, in an area, you can learn, you can grow. Um, but we naturally we need to be good listeners. So we need to be able to not only listen to what's being said, but what's not being said. We need to be keen ob, um, observers of um, nonverbal social cues. So for some of us, for some counselors, that comes really easily. Like for me, it's very easy. Um, we need to be patient. And, um, you know, I, I believe if you're not naturally a patient person, that it that can be something that, you know, you grow in. Um, so I, I think that is really a, a matter of if you if you don't have a particular skill, being able to be willing to to learn it and to practice it and to um, growing excellence in it. Mm, okay. Now, now, speaking of that, uh, you have permission to hurt my feelings on this one, all right? Because uh, I had a therapist once, and I, I don't want to say fired is too harsh a term. I moved on uh, mm -hmm. from that therapist because uh, he confused me with another client. Now, um, was I was I lacking grace in that moment or was I being too harsh or, you know, you can hurt my feelings. Trust me. You can just, come on. Let me have okay. it. Now. Um, if it happened once, okay. I, you know, it, it could be a, a, a lot of different reasons why that happened. They have a lot of clients, um, but that would be a red flag. It would be because it, it just, it's, it's off putting, you know, did you not look at your notes before, you know, I came to visit you. That's something that, great counselors are going to do. We're not going to be caught off, off guard. We're going to review our notes prior to a session. So if you don't have a good memory, which is something that counselors need to have, we need to have good memories. If you don't, then you need to be prepared and at least look at your, your session notes from the prior, previous session prior to the, the client coming in. So that really shouldn't happen. But again, if we also encourage clients when they come and like say something is off-putting to them, then to be open with us and bring it up. So that way, who knows, maybe he had a bad day, he or she had a bad day. We don't know. But we also encourage clients that if they are feeling uncomfortable, that sometimes, you know, we might not be the best fit for them and for them to feel free to, to move on. So it's not really a right or wrong answer. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Now, um, the subject of our podcast is discipline. And uh, so I'm going to move away from the counseling just for a moment. When you were growing up, did you, you know, and, and, and let me give some context. Uh, you know, I wouldn't invite Linnell on here 
for my audience. I would like to invite her on here if I didn't consider her a very disciplined person. Now, did you participate in sports growing up? I did. So uh, in elementary, I started in middle school. Middle school and high school, I participated in track and field. Um, so that was the only sport in, uh, in, in that area, track and field. Okay. Yep. okay. Did, uh, would you say that track and field contributed to your discipline growing up or, or, you know, or was it just an expression of what you were already taught at home? I believe it already was an expression of what I was taught at home. So for me, when I look at discipline, I go back all the way to the first grade. So in first grade, um, we were presented with a trophy. If someone was going to read a, win a trophy, whoever read the most books. And so I remember myself in first grade saying to myself, I want that trophy. So I did whatever I needed to do to win it. So I read the books. I had two different um, library cards. So I can go to more than just one library. So, cause we only had a limit of books we could, we could um, get out um, during that time. So I, I, for me, it started all the way back in first grade, but it's even further than that. Like my parents, um, when I think of discipline, I think of persistence. I think of a do what you got to do mentality. So um, even when I talked about my dad working two to three jobs for him, he wanted his wife, the mother of his children, to stay at home with his kids. And so he did whatever he needed to do to make that happen. So a sacrifice. My mom was a, a head psychiatric nurse. But when she had us, she, like, she felt more important that it was for her to be at home. So she sacrificed that part of her. So growing up, I recognized um, in order to get what you want, in order to reach a certain goal, it needed to be sacrificed. Hmm. I, never, I never knew that about you. I never knew that mom was a, a head psychiatric nurse. So then mm -hmm. that um, that vocation, I guess, runs in the family. huh? Yes. Now, um, outside of mom and dad, was there someone in your community that you remember that really inspired you with their level of discipline? Um, it would probably be my youth pastor. Um, Albert Watson, and he is a he was a dance professional dancer. Now he's um, a headmaster of the dance program at Norfolk Academy. But um, he was very disciplined, but also very humble, very down to earth, very approachable. Um, so he was one that really impacted me at a young age, and even still to this day, he's in his seventies. So. Oh wow. wow! I met him once. That's a, mm -hmm. you, got me, you got me thinking now. My my kids want to be you know they love dance as well, mm -hmm. so. Yeah. So um, now, now, what habits you, you spoke about reviewing notes, um, but other than reviewing the notes before the person comes in, what are good habits and disciplines that make a great therapist okay. now that you're 10 years in? OK, so one is being able to empathize with individuals, being able to put yourself in their shoes, whether regardless of whether or not you agree with what they did, what they're going through. It doesn't matter. Being able to at least put yourself in their shoes and experience from a, an emotional feeling state what they are experiencing. Um, we already mentioned a great listener. You have to be able to active listen. You have to be able to summarize what you believe the person has said to you and be willing to be corrected. Uh, so if I summarize to a client, well, this is what I'm hearing you say. And sometimes they'll say, well, no, this is what I, this is what I mean. Being completely open to that. Um, adaptable. Uh, we as therapists might have an agenda based on therapeutic goals where we want to see the, the, the session go, but that client may have had something happen to them in that week where they want to touch on instead of what's on the goals. 
We have to be adaptable. We have to be patient. Mm -hmm. uh, we have so there's this 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 thing. We have to meet the client where they're at. It's not about us where we think they need to be, how fast we think they need to go. It's sure. about where we have to meet them where they're at. Um, when I say a good problem solver, uh, you have to at least be able to prioritize, help you know, help clients prioritize. Um, also, self-awareness. Uh, we have to be aware of what's going on within ourselves, with our clients. We also have to maintain presence. And what that means is, like, so when a client comes to us and they have, like, a traumatic story or um, just a really tragic story, we have to be able to stay grounded mm -hmm. and not react or overreact is what I want to say. I've had clients come to me and say, you know, and they're high-functioning individuals. So the reason why they seek therapy is because they, they can talk to family members, they can talk to friends, but when they share what's happened to them, they, I'll use their words, freak out. Mm -hmm. And so when they do that, that arouses them even more. So they wanted to be able to come to a person where, let me tell you what's happened to me. And I know you're going to be able to stay level-headed, so to speak, um, while helping me sort through things. So that's a, that's a huge piece, being able to stay present, stay grounded when you hear just some of the worst stories that you um that you'll hear. Um, let me think what else. Being able to uh, build rapport. So being able to um, just kind of build that relationship with someone in a short time frame. Uh, for some of uh, the therapists that are build, um, billing insurances, we don't have a lot of time with clients. So we'll have sometimes six to 12 sessions. So we can't take a couple of months to try to get to know somebody. As therapists, we also are going to really love going deep. We, you know, we don't really do well with this, this shallowness, um, small talk. We'll do that. And we're doing it for a goal. But um, we really like to go deep and we can get there quickly. So during that first session is when we have the assessment. So we have our basic questions that we're asking. We have the probing questions. We have a natural curiosity. And that all helps with building rapport in a, in a quick, quick manner. Okay. Now, uh, let me ask a, a tough question. And this has to do where possibly I blew it as a as a parent recently. And uh, so then that way you can kind of, uh, and maybe someone else can learn from this. Um, you know, I recently with my family went to the zoo and, um, you know, we had, you know, one of the family had an injury and, you know, so we had to cut the trip short. And uh, my oldest, um, you know, she, even though it was someone in the family who was injured, uh, my oldest still expressed her displeasure and was, you know, crying uh, because they didn't get to see the panda, you know, like they didn't. And uh, I asked the person why they were, you know, I asked my child, why were they crying? And then they expressed that it was because they didn't get to see the panda, even though they knew that there was an injury in the family, you know. And uh, I kind of went off for like 15 minutes, you know, like, uh, you know, how, how disappointed I was that, that you're not caring about the injured family member more than, uh, you know, you wanted to see the panda, the panda's going to always be there. You have this injured family member. Uh, but then here's where I kind of saw the error in my ways, like three days later, um, we had watched this episode of different strokes. And it was, you know, it was the episode where uh, Arnold was almost molested, and like Dudley, I think, was molested, right? And 
the the molester was trying to you know get the boys to be quiet about the molestation and everything else. So we had at, we had started to ask my kids about you know you know the only time they've ever been away from us was at this particular at this place at the YMCA, and we okay. started to ask them questions. And it turned out to be nothing, but they kind of clammed up on me, you know, like they, they, and, you know, I began to think like, yeah, they clammed up on me because I went off three days ago when I said, Hey, what are you, what, what, what are you thinking about? Why are you upset? Mm -hmm. So I guess why I'm here, you've counseled a lot of young ladies and I guess the advice I'm being real transparent here, the advice I'm seeking is this on one hand, when you ask the person what they're thinking, and then they tell you, but it's a it's a very selfish thought and it's not you know um, you know you're not caring about you know your your family member who's injured you know that that's that's not a good thing you know and and as a parent i want to kind of guide my family away from narcissistic behavior or selfish behavior or what have you but on the other hand um i don't want to create a climate where uh they don't share where they're what they're thinking. Okay. You see what I'm saying? So, <laughs> as a person who's a therapist and who's counseled a lot of young ladies, what is the? How do you? What do you recommend for parents to find that balance? So that's a good point, and I don't even I see that you know whether it's with parents or even just in any type of relationship when we're asking someone, oh, "What are you thinking?" Or how are you feeling? Why are you feeling a certain way? I think sometimes we already have a preconceived idea of what they should be thinking or what they should be feeling. So I, I think there's a level of expectation that we're seeking from them, even though we're asking them for honesty, right? Right, right, um, right. So I think that in, in that manner, when your oldest daughter expressed, well, this is how she was feeling because you guys had to leave early. Right. It's a valid point. I, you know, you're disappointed. and empathizing with that even though you empathize with something doesn't necessarily mean you agree so we can empathize like you know i've had clients and i've dealt with parents who were the molester you know they were the ones that did the act mm -hmm. and you know we're listening to their story of what contributed to them doing what they have done you know to another child right. so i can empathize with you and understand your behavior but I don't have to agree with it. So initially for that oldest daughter, I can empathize with you. It, it is disappointing. That is upsetting. I understand that. However, this is top priority. And then this is that panda, like you said, will be there. So I think what may have been missing is the fact that it is disappointing when you have to leave an event earlier than expected, when you're not able to experience um, what you thought you would have been able to. Because uh, that's going to happen not just now, but, but it will happen in the future uh, right. with her and, and with all of us. So just right. being able to empathize with that and verbalizing that, understanding that, but then coming back with that corrective stance. This happened, so this takes precedence, but I understand. Mm, that's good. That's good. I'm going to go and give her a – at the end of this interview, I'm going to give her a modified apology. All right? <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate that. Uh -huh. Now, uh, a lot of us uh, – for those who are listening, this I don't consider this a religious podcast. Uh, you know, I want everyone to be what everything I do, uh, I go a little too far with Jesus, 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 Jesus. You know, so uh, with this podcast, I, I wanted to have uh, more of a uh, 
a secular feel, I guess you could say, to, to be able to reach everybody. But just to be honest, I mean, transparency for anyone who's listening and who doesn't know me, I'm a pastor, and, and I, I've recently been talking to other pastors where we are seeing like a, a mental health pandemic where um, it just seems like an uptick of people who are having a lot of issues. And, and I have read, I can't cite the studies, but I have read statistics of, it looked to me to be reliable sources of, of an uptick in the last 18 months of, of issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a therapist, uh, as a licensed psychotherapist, do you, what do you think is causing this? Is it Corona? Is it our diet? Is it, is it social media? Is it media? What, what do you, if you had a, if you could, you know, I know you can't, you may not have a scientific study to say, oh, I know it's this, but just as someone who's in the field and is dealing with people on a regular basis, what would you say is causing this uptick of this mental health pandemic? Um, so I wouldn't say that it's like maybe just one cause, but I think there's contributing factors. Um, so there has been an uptick, um, just how much we're not sure. Um, I think that people have struggled with mental health issues, you know, since forever. However, We've seen, uh, whether it's with the Olympics and what was going on with Simone Biles and like others, we see that now there definitely is a, um, there's still a stigma, but there definitely is more of a level of comfortability with coming out and at least expressing this is how I'm feeling. Um, So I think that a lot of times people maybe have been silent or struggled in silence, Um, but definitely with COVID. Um, with the sheltering in place, so you've had increased isolation. Um, and when you do shelter in place, not everybody has healthy families. Mm-hmm. So everybody's together, and they don't know how to be together. That's definitely something that's been on mind. So even with families, um, I've noticed families, even though they've lived in the same house, we have been so busy mm-hmm. that we really don't know how to be with each other in the same house. Um, when sheltering in place happened, that was revealed. So there was more chaos, um, more discord. Uh, so we saw increases just in like family therapy. Um, so I definitely think COVID has played a role in that, in that they're sheltering in place, um, isolation, not being able to interact with others outside of the home. Um, even just increased anxiety over with so much in the news if you're constantly watching the news and it's just it impacted me so i have to limit my um how much i watch the news so definitely increase anxiety increase in depression uncertainty um diets that is huge um i think that we i think that we don't emphasize enough how much diet plays in mental health um I think, again, with the busyness, you know, we're going to the fast food places or even if, it, if we're bringing something home, we're popping it in a microwave. Um, so I think um, diet definitely plays a role. Um, some of this has been researched, especially with uh, depression, mm-hmm. um, like carbohydrates, certain carbohydrates, um, the simple ones um, can lead to a deficiency in um, 
the vitamin B um, levels. Uh, so diet definitely plays a role, lack of exercise. And it doesn't have to be like your traditional exercise is going to a gym, but just getting out and walking. Um, so there's all of this contributing, uh, there's a lot of contributing factors that play a role into what we're seeing nowadays. Um, even school settings. Um, and I know it's going to uh, vary depending on where you're at, but just decrease in level of recess, especially during COVID. Um, so I know certain kids that I knew didn't have recess. And so they didn't have that physical outlet and they definitely don't get it at home either. So that also was a contributing factor. Um, media. <laughs> I, I think, you know, even with food, what we put in us, you know, it impacts us. So whether what you listen to, uh, what you watch, all of those things um, play a factor in, in our mental health, how we think, how we process things, what we think we should be feeling, what we think should be going on in our lives. Um, all of that plays a part. Well, let, let me, let's switch gears here a little bit. Our families have something in common. And, and um, we, my wife and I, uh, a, lot, a lot of people on this podcast don't know, uh, my wife and I celebrated 20 years of marriage before our first child. And we also celebrated uh, five years, oh, excuse me, five, uh, didn't celebrate. We experienced five uh, miscarriages. And uh, along with those five miscarriages, we went through uh, 13 years of infertility, you know, out of the 20. Uh, with all of that being, with all of that in mind, I've seen a lot of Facebook posts that you've made about the fibroids issue and, you know, infertility issues and those type of issues. What would you like, what, what, what do people need to know that they do not know about this issue of fibroids and infertility? So I'm going to speak from the standpoint of a black woman. Um, this impacts white women or, or, or non-black women, but just not as as much. Because um, there are some women that have fibroids and they're asymptomatic, so they don't experience, you know, uh, life-changing um, impacts from it. Um, so black women, by the age of 50, 80% of black women would have been diagnosed with a fibroid or multiple fibroids, would have gone through surgeries. Um, black women are encouraged to get hysterectomies at an earlier age. Um, and we're more, li most, more likely to suffer um, from the symptoms, whether it's, you know, monthly painful periods, excessive bleeding, which leads to um, anemia um, and infertility challenges. And so like you, you know, like you have suffered a miscarriage, I'm very open about that. Um, and partly why they think that was is because I had multiple fibroids and I had a fiber within the wall of my uterus. So it constricts the wall, it constricts the blood flow, everything's interrupted. Um, so it's, I suffered an early miscarriage. What we need to know about it is one that um, I think because multiple family members have it, we think that it's normal and it's not normal. Mm. Um, the next one minute and 33 seconds will be reserved for a commercial advertisement. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time it is in your time zone. At least on my time, it's it's after church, and I don't know about you, sometimes after church, I'm just lacking energy. Courtney. Yes? Can you get me, can you get me a, uh, one of them vitamins that your mama takes? There you go, daddy. 
Let me try one of these. Tastes pretty good. My God, my God, Q! What do you have in there? It's made with vitamins B9 and B12. It's it's great for my overall health. It's made with pectin, a unique fiber in fruit peels. It's simple and delicious. Kim, did you know that more people search apple cider vinegar in the U.S. than tea? Google has 15,000 people searching that word every day in the U.S. alone. Kim, how can more people get this gummy? If you want to support the podcast, or if you're looking to improve your health, you can order these gummies at https forward slash forward slash go.goalie.com forward slash becoming discipline. Don't forget to use our promo code becoming discipline. We need to be advocates of our bodies. I know when I first, uh, when I first noticed the fiber, I was in my early thirties and I went to the doctor, I was exercising. I was just, you know, examining my stomach and I felt something. And I looked it up and I was like, oh, I think this is a fibroid. So I went to the doctor and I told him, I said, you know, I think I have fibroids. So he examined my stomach. He's like, you know, I think it's just, I think it's your, your stomach muscles. And so I was like, well, if it's my stomach muscles, I would have them on both sides of my stomach. And I didn't, I had to fight tooth and nail just to get um, an ultrasound. I had to keep going back and I had to threaten the person and say, you know, I, I hope that it's nothing serious because if it is, it's not going to look good for you guys because I've, I've come here multiple times. And so they gave me an ultrasound and I had four fibroids. Mm. Um, so I would encourage um, black women or just women in general, but specifically black women, I would encourage them to really be on point with their gynecological health and to start early because the earlier do, that you do, you have more uh, options and lesser chance that will that will impact your fertility there's multiple options that you have surgeries different things but from a natural standpoint from my research um i I learned that it was estrogen dominance that was contributing to my fibroids it was confirmed to me when i was going through my infertility challenges by uh, my reproductive endocrinologist so i had recently gone through a surgery and it thinned out my uterus and so she wanted to build up my uterus by giving me estrogen pills so she's like you know i don't want to give you too much because i don't want your your fibroids to come back because it's estrogen dominant so that was the first time that a medical doctor actually confirmed what i had already researched um and so with that being said we as women have to be really careful about what we put in our bodies so you know how chicken is not red meat so it's considered healthier a healthier choice than red meat to eat more frequently if you're going to eat meat However, I learned that chicken is is heavily hormonal, hormonally based. Mm. And so it's one of the worst foods that we can eat for those of us that struggle with um, with these fibroids. Right. So does that mean I'm going to cut out all chicken or all meat? Probably not. But what I do need to do is increase my level of fiber intake because the fiber helps remove estrogen level, excess estrogen from our bodies. So it's just a, a balance. But you got to do your due diligence and research. Um, you got to reach out to other women who have experienced it, but then have actually moved past it and had success in their areas as far as getting rid of them and then you know obtaining whatever goals they wanted to have. You got to reach out to ladies who had success, um, even with the level of stress. So stress contributes to to fibroids because it increases your cortis, cortisol levels. 
So it's just so much we have to do with self-care. And as Black women, a lot of us are engaging in what I call like the superwoman mentality where I can just do it all, you know? But it's always going to come at a cost. It will always come at a cost. So we have to be willing to um, engage in self-care. We have to be willing to take care of our bodies. Regardless, I felt fine while I had fibroids. Outside of my menstrual cycle, I felt fine. You know, I was fit. I looked fit. I wasn't overweight. Um, None of those things. But I wasn't doing my due diligence in what I was putting in my body. I was acting out of ignorance. Mm -hmm. So once I learned, then I, I had to do better. Um, but the diet plays a really big role. I know for me, I was actually going to go through, um, IVF to try to conceive. I had spoken to several doctors and one doctor told me that, you know, you're not going to have any success unless you do IVF. And he's like, even if you do IVF, you're probably going to have to do donor eggs based on my numbers from lab reports. Um, I had another doctor, uh, based in Missouri that I was going to go to, and he was really good. But he kind of came from a fear-based standpoint. I would hear him in lives, and he would say, um, you know, the women who didn't do IVF, they ended up not having kids, and they ended up being depressed. They ended up being this. They ended up being this. And so a while back, I always reminded myself that I would never not do anything based out of fear. So it just was, to me, it was fear-based. And um, that's when uh, so I was supposed to start treatment in August of 2020 but I just didn't feel right about it because they wanted me to take uh, birth control pills and I knew that it would contribute to me uh, having more fibroids and so I was like Lord do I want to tear down my uterus in order to try to have a child and everybody has different you know situations or circumstances but this is mine so um, I said I I don't want to do that so I was like Lord um, I have to release this desire that I have for kids and I said, I have to release and I'm giving it back to you. I know that if you want me to have kids, it will happen in the manner that you choose for it to happen. And if not, I will not be depressed. I will continue to walk in my purpose that you that you have me here on this earth for. So I made that decision in August. I called them and I said, I'm not going to go through it. I said, I'm at like some sort of family situation and I'm not doing it. In August is when I conceived. Oh, wow. And then, September and then so on. So that's, that's, I tell people that, you know, my story because I think, um, cause I'm going to be doing a group for women with infertility, but, um, while we have the desire to have children, I think that we can't let that desire have us or own us or we will lose our minds. Mm-hmm. We, will, we will be in a state of despair and that's not what Christ wants for us. Um, and it's just not, a, it's just not a happy experience. So whether you're a Christian or not, but, um, you know, having the desire is fine, but just not letting that desire own us. Um, and then doing our due diligence. At the end of the day, all we can do is do our best, put our best effort forward, and then let the results fall where they may. But we will have no regret because we, we did our best. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's very powerful. I think a lot of people need to hear that. Uh, I think as well, the stats kind of show that... Uh, Black women in particular have to work extra hard to uh, make sh- ensure that doctors uh, treat them uh, equally and fairly. Uh, I think that there's a, there are statistics and, and information out there regarding that. Um, I, I, I even spoke to uh, the, one of the former presidents of uh, the Virginia NAACP, and she 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 even suggested that black women when they go into their doctor 
asked them have they had any training for bias? Um, you know, have, have you have you attended any any cognitive? I think it's cognitive bias training, or uh, you know, just for racial bias training to see whether, hey, you know, uh, you know, have you have you reaffirmed or have you thought about this issue before you treat me? Uh, because the stats show that um, I believe the stats show that they're less likely to address the pain of black women. Uh, they're they're less likely to prescribe medication. They're less likely uh, to have empathy toward black women uh, on and, and black issues. So so I think that's something that uh, needs to be out there that people need to be aware of. I will say this. So the doctor that I had the trouble with as far as when I first had the thyroid, he was black. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. And so, the, and the reproduction endocrinologist that I had was white. Mm. So, so while living in Georgia, because, you know, I also had to come to a realization that everything you said is true. But while I lived in, you know, living in Georgia and experiencing, you know, what I did, I, I, I realized, I was like, okay, you know what? At the end of the day, I don't care what color you are. Right. What I do need you to be, though, is competent and then compassionate and then willing to hear me because I know my body. Now, right. more likely, though, that you are going to, when you do come across like the, maybe, you know, the black physicians, they are going to be maybe more aware of the fiber issue within our, you know, within our community. But sure. I just say that at the end of the day, yeah, you definitely want to see if there's any um, the bias going on or and just to be that advocate, but not to be closed-minded if you're coming up to someone and, and, and they're not your race. Um, you just never know. Amen. 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 Well, asking them that question will open, at least open up a dialogue. Exactly. <laughs> now, um, you also uh, are, like you just mentioned, congratulations. You're a new mom. Yes. <laughs> now, uh, as a new mom uh, and, and someone who has the, the, the psychological training, um, and I, it's got to be different for you because you're experiencing it while having the training, uh, or potentially. I don't want to. I don't want to say you experienced anything because I don't know. I'll, we'll find out. But uh, <laughs> but how, uh, as someone with the training, uh, did you experience any postpartum depression? And then, if, if you experienced any postpartum depression, then how is that as a as a psychotherapist when you're experiencing it? How do you? How does that relate to you? And 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 any advice for someone who is a psychotherapist who may or may not have experienced this? Uh, what advice can you give to moms, you know, or or soon to be moms as they potentially could be going through this? Uh huh. So I think you know, I definitely experienced baby blues, um, which is different. You know, baby blues is going to last for like you know two to three weeks, and. Um, I definitely experienced that. I will say something I didn't know was um, present. I actually experienced, um, you know, depression, anxiety during pregnancy. Um, and as I was doing my research, I realized that that, that is a thing and um, that it does um, impact women. However, when they bring it up to their doctors, usually they're just kind of like, you know, again, just kind of like... Um, uh, not validated, like, oh, it's your hormones, which, yes, that plays a part into it. Um, so I, I experienced it during pregnancy. Um, I think because I've had the miscarriage and because I was older, um, 41 years old, um, it was hard for me to enjoy my pregnancy. 
And um, because I was always fearful that I was going to lose the pregnancy. So, um, yeah, that was very real for me. Um, and it got to the point where, um, because I wasn't getting the, the validation from the first um, OBG that I was going to, that uh, I did reach out to a, a colleague that was a therapist because I knew like this is beginning to, I was losing sleep. Um, I wasn't enjoying anything. I, there was multiple crying episodes. I was just um, overwhelmed. And so I definitely needed someone to, and I was aware of it though. So I was very aware of it, but I was like, I, I need to talk to somebody. Um, so I did seek out counseling and um, it, it, you know, it helps. I can't say that it all, it, it goes away completely. I think it is, um, I think that is a special case when you're struggling, when you struggle with fertility, everybody thinks like, oh, you know, you should be so happy, you know, you're just finally here and you are, but it's, um, it's an unsettling uh, feeling because uh, you just never know what can happen. It's so it's, um, it's a little bit of a joy killer, but um, so I did experience that during and then afterwards I did um, experience depression um, and anxiety. And I, I realized that, you know, guys, it never really ends. And so that's where for me personally, I do have to lean spiritually also. So I definitely do the therapy piece, um, but also spiritually. So I recognize that, you know, what, Linnell, there's always something that can happen to you or to your child. And there's only but so much that you can control. So for me, I have to really write down what do I have control over? And by God, I'm going to do everything that I have control over. Uh, to ensure my daughter's safety and my safety. And then everything else, I have to I have to let it go. And I literally have to let it go. Um, so for individuals who may be experiencing that, it's kind of similar to what how we treat individuals with anxiety when anybody, um, just really coping skills, exercise. So exercise for me is, a, is therapy. Um, so I go out running, I go walking. Um, it's a great stress reliever for myself, but you have to find what works for you. That doesn't work for everybody. Um, so you have to, you know, lean into the coping skills. You definitely need somebody to talk to. You definitely need somebody that's not going to be judgmental. Um, you also have to talk to somebody that's not going to want to be like a quick fix. Well, let me fix it, you know, or just try to solve the problem. You just need someone. You need to be heard. You need to be heard. That's and you good. need to be validated. That's good. Um, so even in my experience where women are still calling me because they're still struggling through, infertility. I was like, you know what? That is hard. That whatever they're going, it is. And so I don't try to, um, I don't try to uh, minimize what they're experiencing out of my own level. Maybe like, you know, sometimes we feel uncomfortable with people's pain. So we have to learn how to be comfortable with it. Um, yeah, I think also what helps is as I was looking at postpartum depression, um, support system, so something I had to learn was that people express wanting to help, but sometimes they don't know how to help. Um, and then sometimes also, I'm also part of, bre of breastfeeding groups. And so what I've seen in that group also is we can communicate how we want to be helped. And sometimes it's still not given to us because they have their own way of how they want to help. And it, it's not always helpful. So you really have to, you really have to find those people, uh, like Dr. Henry Cloud says, like safe people. You really have to find those type of people where they're going to be able to give you the help that you actually need. Mm, um, that makes a world of difference. 
to support system. And it has to be uh, in such a way that it's actually helpful to you. So for me, you know, when I had my baby, I, I didn't need, um, I needed sleep. Um, <laughs> I needed sleep. I didn't, I was breastfeeding, you know, I, and so it's, you know, I think people understanding their roles, their own individual roles. And sometimes there needs to be clarification with what those roles are because people have different expectations. And so just really for women being okay with verbalizing when something's not helpful, even though that person is coming from a standpoint of help and doing it in a, a kind way, but really just advocating. It all goes back to advocating for yourself. I know you're trying to help, but this isn't helpful to me. Here's what would be helpful to me. So really being able to communicate that and just being aware of what is helpful to you and just really verbalizing. And hopefully, you know, that support system will um, be understanding. Because I think that's a really big um, contributing factor. That's good. That's good. I think the, the golden nugget I take away from that, and I it's going to probably help me with my daughters is when you said I need to be heard. You know, that's a, that's a very powerful. I think that's almost divine. That's a divine moment right there. Um, also, you know, just as a thought, uh, when you talked about being 40 and or 40 or 41 and being pregnant, uh, if I ever become very, very rich, I will use all of you all who are psychologists. And I think, the psychologists or the therapists, psychologists, those in the mental health field, they need to help the rest of the medical industry redo how they do things. Uh, it, that needs to be like a revolution because they treat the body and they ignore the psychology of the mind. And one way, the reason why I'm mentioning that is my wife was 40 and pregnant. And uh, psychologically, when they put uh, the term, uh, I think it's a geriatric pregnancy. When, yes. you, when, you, <laughs> when you hear that term, that term, it's, it, it's, it just, uh, it, it works, it psychologically works against you, mm -hmm. you know, and I think just labeling it with that, with that label, they've got to be wiser in how they put those type of labels on people because then yes. I think that can be a negative thing, you know. So if I ever become a billionaire, that's what I will do is I will uh, I will force the medical industry to to re you know to rethink how they do things, you know. Um, you, you're also a a new military spouse, and uh, you know having to deal with deployments and and you know we, of course we just lost some soldiers. Uh, soldiers and sailors. Um, my my question is, it, what advice do you have? For, you know, I know you're you're relatively new, but as a relatively new military spouse, just experiencing this, what advice do you give for anyone who is about to marry a military man, or they're about to, you know, they're about to embark upon that? What what what, what thoughts did you do you have? I know it's new for you, but what are you, but sometimes the new thoughts are the best thoughts because they're fresh. And they're like right off the right off the factory floor. So uh -huh. what are your thoughts as a brand new military spouse? So what advice can you give? So definitely brand new and also have been through a six month deployment and will be coming on a, a year deployment, actually. Um, so one, don't be naive. <laughs> so I would, I'm, all, I'm a big researcher. 
So military, definitely research. You know, they're going to go through deployments. They're going to go through their TDYs, meaning it's in-state, but they'll go away for two weeks at a time, you know. Um, know what you're getting into because you're going to be getting into some stuff. Right. Um, whether or not that's a good fit for you. It's not a good fit for everybody. Um, and then if it's, but if it's someone that you're really truly, um, you know, this is the one, and then just really creating a plan to work through it. You really got to, communication. So with the um, deployments or TDYs or just long work hours, my husband works long hours, so he comes home 6.30, but then he's going to bed like 9, 9.15. Um, and then he needs to be able to um, kind of come down from his, you know, work stance. And so that's, you know, whether it's TV or um, on his phone or whatever have you, and I'm ready to talk and engage, you know, and I love deep conversations. Um, so for me, that was one of our biggest struggles. Um, and just knowing how to compromise and, again, hear each other and have each other be understood. So I think communication is, is huge mm -hmm. and recognizing um, what it is, what is your love language. I'm a big advocate of um, understanding personality sure. um, because we can communicate all day. But there's a saying, um, gosh, what's that saying about communicate? Um, slipping my mind but it's, it's it's big on like you know you got to communicate or whatever but communication is, is huge but to be understood mm. is even better so i can tell you something i can communicate something but if you don't understand where i'm coming from it really doesn't matter it's actually can be even more frustrating so my husband you know they had to do a personality test he sent me the link and i did it and it really opened my mind to like understanding hell because it would drive me crazy because we're just two very different people. We look at the world very differently. And what I may have ascribed to him something negative based on how he reacted is, is, is not at all. So I think um, just really also trying to understand each other's personality will help even just coming from a, a military standpoint. But just knowing what you're getting into and then really um, taking advantage of the resources that you have avail available. There's so many resources um, on the bases um, that they have for you, and just not being afraid to um, to seek help when you need it, or to reach out to other military spouses. Um, it's going to be huge um, because it does take sacrifice on uh, on both parts. So. Okay, that's good. That's good for people to know. Good for people to know. Now, um, now I want to ask more general general questions. I, I, I've exhausted all the Linnell specific questions, all right? But uh, just these are just general questions we ask all of our guests that we bring on. Uh, I know you mentioned earlier working out, the importance of working out. Do you work out in the mornings or the evenings? So I prefer evening time, but I have moved to morning time just because just we even married my husband. Mornings, my husband's a morning person, but I prefer evening time. Okay, okay. outside. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Now, as a high performer, how well do you sleep? And uh, do, you, do you consider yourself a sound sleeper or do you are you up all night or how, how is that? So definitely I'm a sound sleeper. I've never had issues with sleeping until having a child. But right. um, prior to that, sound sleeper, um, if I have a lot on my mind, I definitely will need to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, so if I can talk about it um, or just write down my thoughts or at least have some sort of... Um, direction I'm going on going with in my thought process then I'll be able to sleep soundly and not only that I'll be able to sometimes work through things while I'm sleeping and so I wake up and I'm like oh wow that's that's what I need to do um so I've always been a sound sleeper no problems with that um things don't keep me up at night 
because maybe because I get it out, whether it's verbally or I'm gonna write it out. Um, or I, you know, for me personally, I pray. I'm like, Lord, you know, give me direction, whether it's for clients or, or whatever have you. I definitely um, will talk to um, you know, for me, God, um, and just and pray about it, and then I'll go to sleep. Um, yes, yeah, so I do deal with it. I have to either talk about it, write it out, because if I don't, then yeah, it's going to keep me up. It's going to it's too much stimulation going on. Mm, okay, okay. Now, what book besides the Bible mm-hmm. that has helped you the most as a mother, and then also what book outside the Bible that has helped you the most as a therapist? Okay. So as a therapist, uh, I read Dibs in Search of Self by Virginia Axling, and it's a, a play therapy book, but it's based on a true story. So um, gosh, I, that was back in 2006 or so. So I read that like in a couple hours, and I was like, I want to get into play therapy. It was about a kid who was being abused, and um, he became mute. And in play therapy, um, which is just helping kids learn how to label, work through things during play, um, and he came out um, better. Uh, so that really sparked my interest. And then the art, play therapy, the art of the relationship by Dr. Gary Landers. He's a Christian. Um, that impacted me because he described the play therapy relationship. He compared it to our relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was just profound because I had never, it, it just opened up so many different um, ways of thinking about our relationship with Christ. So that was as far as a therapist. Um, as a mom, um, I think those two books helped me because that's what I plan to do with um, uh, Nia, my daughter, you know, just really playing with her and just um, continuing to build upon that bond. I think that helped me. Um, I haven't read any direct books right now on motherhood um, other than what they gave me from the OBG. But, you know, I've also, I've always been just very fascinated with Bonhoeffer. Awesome. And, awesome. you know, I, for me, that helps me as a mother because he comes from a spiritual standpoint. Um, just a lot of nuances that occur in life, hardships that occur in life, and how he had to work through that. So for me personally, as a mother, I, I um, approach motherhood like I approach when I had a career. Or, you know, I'm going to persist. I'm going to research. I'm going to, you know, seek guidance from other wise people, um, God. So that impacts me to this day as far as what type of mother I want to be. Um, yeah, I think Boundaries also by Dr. Henry Cloud um, helps me as far as in motherhood, just um, with different family dynamics. Okay. Um, I have a... Uh, you know, I have a direction as far as how I want to parent based on, you know, you know, who I am. And I've realized that other people have different ideas um, and they're loving people in, in my family and just trying to set boundaries to help protect um, what I desire for my daughter. while still um, encouraging and fostering healthy relationships that she's going to have with other family members. I think that's one of my biggest challenges that I find for myself and just learning how to compromise and compromise well. Um, That's good. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Now, becoming disciplined, we examine discipline or organization in the following areas. Uh, And don't worry, I always have to say it like two or three times for all my guests. All right. We look at spirituality, mental discipline, physical discipline, 
emotional intelligence, financial discipline, time management, and home and data organization. Now, out of these, I'm going to read them again, but which of these do you consider your strong points and which could use some work? And then if there's an area that could use some work, do you have a plan in 2021 to address that area? So let me read it one more time. Spirituality, mental discipline, physical discipline, emotional intelligence, financial discipline, time management, and home and data organization. What's the strong point? What's the point that needs some work? And then if there's an area that needs some work, what's the plan? Okay, so uh, for me, spiritual discipline comes easy to me. It's where I learn the best I and mean, the easiest. Um, always room for growth, though. Um, emotional intelligence definitely is a strong point. You also room for growth. Physical discipline is, comes easy to me because, again, I'm going to do what I got to do. Right. Um, mental comes easy for me also. What I do need to work on is time management because I can become obsessed with certain topics or things that I get consumed in those areas and other areas I consider I consider less important. To uh, I, I just let those things go. So it worked for me as a single, as a single woman. Um, I would just be a night out. I'd be reading, researching, and my house would just be completely disorganized. I'm like, well, this is more important. Um, that does not work in marriage. So... Um, so time management and home is a piece that I have already had to work on since becoming married. Awesome. And um, that has been, uh, so my plan has been something I've already implemented because um, I get overwhelmed with um, just clutter. I don't know where to start. So it's not that I'm being lazy. I just don't know where to start. So I just don't start. Right, um, right, right. So recently uh, I just break things down into smaller tasks and then I find that I'm able just to really get through all of it. Um, and, and not even in a long period of time. So I have to break things down into smaller tasks. And um, I actually just have to also mention, like, well, you know what, well, now this is important, you know, teach, to teach my daughter. Right, right, right. My husband. Um, and then you'll have time to focus on all your other passions later. So it's just really, it, it's just a mental thing I have to, um, I have to submit to. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Now, uh, you mentioned uh, this is a time where Linnell can share the things that you that the, the things that are going on. You mentioned some Facebook groups and and are you still taking any clients or? So I've been on maternity leave and the goal is um, my goal was October to start taking some clients. But then I um, I really feel like, you know, I'm always asking, you know, asking myself, like, where, you know, what direction should I be taking now? Because I, I just, I change. Um, but I'm definitely interested in groups for women who struggle with infertility. Um, that's really big on my heart right now. And then the other piece is groups for um, young girls and then females, young, um, young women, um, as far as recognizing our worth um, and how that impacts our relational choices, um, our dating choices. Um, how we treat our bodies. Um, so those would be those are my two biggest areas, like, including women in depression. Um, so those are my focal points that will be when I do uh, come back and take on clients. Sure. Now, if someone wanted to contact you about those uh, those issues, to 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 email you or to or to connect with one of your groups online, where would be the best avenue for them to connect with you? Okay. Um. 
Now, see, so when I said I, I joined um, some breastfeeding groups, so that's not my groups. Um, but when I do start, I'm going to give my personal email address right now because it would just be in reference to, you know, getting more um, information. So my personal email address is Linnell, L-Y-N-N-E-L-L-E, the number three, at AOL.com. Because um, right now I'm with uh, the decision tree. So I'm with the group, and um, so that's where I'll be taking more clients. I do telehealth right now when I do go back. Sure. Um, I can do that for Georgia individuals in Georgia and individuals in Virginia for those who want to build insurances. Um, but if you don't want to build insurance, and I can take clients from anywhere. So. Mm, okay. All right. Well, that is good. Well, now this hour went by so fast. I know that, you know, I don't want you to uh, build me past the hour. I don't want you to build me for two hours. <laughs> but, uh, Linnell, we can't thank you enough for coming on. You didn't have to do this. You didn't need to do this. We truly appreciate it. You have the last word. Do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? And it's always good to know your audience. Your audience uh, in this particular podcast are 30 to 55-year-olds. There are people who are trying to become a better version of themselves. I lovingly call them the Get Better Club. And, uh, you know, any closing thoughts of how a person could become more disciplined or how a, a person can become a better version of themselves? Well, first, I, I, I want to say the fact that they actually want to be a better version of themselves, that's, that's half the battle right there. Um, you're recognizing that there's areas for growth. Um, so there's some introspection that's going on. I then would say really reach out to individuals who are um, kind of where you want, where you see yourself wanting to be and really linking up with them, whether it's um, a, a group that they have or whether it's a book that they have written or YouTube, whatever have you, but really connecting with other people that are further ahead than where you are. So that would be one. There's, I've never been jealous of anybody because if someone's beyond where I'm at, I, I just want I want to get to where you're, where you're at. You know, I want to learn from you. Um, so I think connecting to those individuals is um, a huge piece. I think that battle's done when you want to be a better version of me. So that that's so sometimes when we're working with people, you know, it's they don't know that there's a, a better version. They're they're stuck, uh, or they're okay with what's um, or. The dysfunction or whatever is normalized. So I think the people that want to be better for themselves, half the battle is already won. That's, you're in a good spot. Once again, we want to thank Linnell Hayes for coming on. And while we prefer you watch Becoming Disciplined on YouTube, as a reminder, we are available on all major podcast platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Audible, Podomatic, Spotify, and SoundCloud. So please... Subscribe somewhere and subscribe everywhere and just subscribe.